Good morning, everyone. Let's turn to number 207 and we'll begin our worship with Angels from the Realms of Glory. Now we will have our call to worship. Good morning. Good morning. The call to worship this morning is Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou might be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his words do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous Redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Yes, amen. And um, yeah, so they were looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah. We're looking forward to his second coming. Let us now continue to worship the Lord, singing 187, number 187, Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. Dear 
Amen. Um, you may be seated, and let us pray. Lord God, we have gathered in your presence this morning to worship you. It is a good thing to be in your house on the Lord's day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And thank you for the hope that his first coming gives us and the hope that we have of his second coming to ultimately put everything right. But in the meantime, we have the privilege of worshiping you right here in person. We pray your spirit would be in each and every one of us filling this place, um, being a shield around us and helping us to focus all our heart and soul and mind and strength on you. And we ask that you would do this in the name of your son, our savior, whose birth we celebrate in the coming month. And we ask in his name again, amen. Amen. And now if you will take your uh, bulletin inserts, Uh, We will pray our congregational prayer of confession, and this is as a congregation. You have asked for our hands that you might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You ask for our mouths to speak out against injustice, We gave you only a whisper that we might not be accused. You ask for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them for we did not want to see. You ask for our lives that you might work through us. We gave a small part that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive all our calculated efforts to serve you only when it is convenient to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy for us to do so. Father, forgive us, renew us, and send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. I really love that because it is so convicting and it's just so real and down to earth in every part. And every part of that I know is true for me and sadly pretty much for God's church in our country today. So we can take comfort, though, that if we really meant that and paid attention to every word and confess that and ask God to use us as usable instruments, John has assured us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we are into the first Sunday of the Advent season and Christmas is on Sunday this year, a rare event, four weeks from today. Let's continue to worship the Lord, reminding ourselves of the need with people need the Lord. And then again, that Jesus is the solid rock for us all, number 315. Oh, I'm sorry. I goofed it up. Time out. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, okay. It's Advent. So we'll do the um, candle lighting first. So again, you'll need your bulletin inserts for that. This is the candle of faith and hope. It all goes together and the music will flow out of this. So um, we're doing a responsive reading from the book of Isaiah. And I was reading in my own personal devotional of four prayers a day. In Advent, we focus on the prophets, especially Isaiah. So remember this and consider. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel 
Hearken to me, you stubborn of heart, and you who are far from deliverance. I bring near my deliverance. It is not far off. In my salvation will not tarry. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So that's actually a, a prophetic word of hope for those who have faith in God. And it ties right in with our scripture this morning, that one from the east was Nebuchadnezzar who disciplined God's people for their idolatry. But even in that discipline, there was hope. So with that, we will light our first Advent candle of hope and faith. Flames all around it. There we go. Okay. Now we're ready to sing People Need the Lord and the Solid Rock, number 315.
face I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand His altar Now you may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah 29 and John 14. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 1, 4 through 14. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and to all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an unexpected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. This is John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Let us go to God now in prayer. Covenant God of the angelic armies, we thank you for your grace to sinners and for your discipline 
of your saints, which is our hope and proof that you are our loving Father, working in us to make us holy as you are holy, as we serve you in your mission of making disciples of all people everywhere in order to hasten the return of your Son. Please set us free from the consumerist lifestyle of our culture. Do whatever it takes so that we, your church cell in your body in our neighborhood of Clinton, take time to build relationships with our neighbors by being present with them and carefully, prayerfully, that we would listen to them, listen to them tell the stories of their lives and continue to listen patiently until they reveal their hopes and dreams, fears and concerns to us. And then help us to prayerfully plan together as to how we can show your love to our neighbors so they can have a relationship with you as we have a relationship with you. And even that they would be enabled by your spirit to go deeper in Jesus and be more obedient to him. Forgive us for not doing this and and making it a habit. And please, please help us to pray this every day until we change and live out the lifestyle you want us to live together in our neighborhood. And please help us also to be less individualistic and you can start with me. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in Ukraine, Russia, China, Korea, India, Central Africa, the Middle East, everywhere it's dangerous to be a Christian. And thank you for their prayers for us because they know that human freedom is the greatest danger to your church. So please help us to be your truth in love, to show and speak about the life-changing love of Jesus that can take anyone out of darkness, the darkness of selfish desire, and into his selfless, sacrificial love, joy, and peace. Please, increase our hope in our Savior. And we pray for our extended church family. As the birth of our Savior approaches, we pray for those whose loved ones have gone home to you in the last year. We pray for Norma's family and friends, for Nancy's family and friends, and Joe's family and friends. And family, of course, is, is both their um, you know, natural relationships, but also we, their church family. Father, we pray for Ali. Please strengthen her and give her freedom of movement and be with her family, especially Michael's niece, Kate. Please be with uh, Ginny in Florida and her family here. Please be with John and Pat and their large family. Please keep all of us safe from different forms of viruses. Please be with Debbie and especially keep her staff healthy and productive. Please be with our brother Ray. Please be with uh, Noel and Darren and Al and Carol and Kurt's aunt. And uh, Lord, you know uh, anyone that we've left out and um, you know what they need, and we trust you for that. And I ask you, please, help me as I seek to explain, interpret, and apply your very difficult word with the necessary balance, not going off too far into um, correction and not going into just um, saccharine grace, but keeping your perfect balance. 
And now we pray together with one heart and one voice the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this is a perfect song to sing as we go to God's word. Number 174, open my eyes that I may see. Everything that Jesus began in his first coming or advent, when he comes again, it will all be fulfilled. So, for the church, advent is first of all in anticipation of Jesus' second coming. And it is an offering of ourselves to work together in him to hasten his second coming, as the Apostle Peter himself said. In the early centuries of the church, Advent was much like Lent. It was a time of fasting and seeking the Lord together in worship as Christians desired to discern his will for them as his church in a world of darkness, division, and death. And really, when we think about it, not much has changed today. We still need the hope of Jesus in a world that still has darkness as well as division and death in it. So, um, we can only have peace with God through the spirit of Jesus. And we need to realize for ourselves and help others to understand that the only lasting real joy is in the bread of life himself. 
And finally, the love that all people desire and are looking in all the wrong places for it, this can only be experienced in the incarnate Savior, Jesus Christ. So, today's text through the prophet Jeremiah tells God's people to continue to live by the teaching of his words, even when they are being disciplined by him with an exile a thousand miles from home. Because he has plans for their peace and for their prosperity in him. And he will bring them back to the place that he had given them. And this is their hope in the midst of the discipline of them that he's meeting out to them. God plans hope for those who accept his discipline. Now, in the gospel extract, Jesus commands his followers that they must not be troubled or have a fearing heart because of the peace he has given. His peace overcomes hopelessness. So let's go now deeper into these hope-giving truths on this first Sunday of Advent. So first, the uh, Jeremiah passage And we're going to look at this in two parts, and I'll summarize the first half. Jeremiah writes a letter to all the exiles in Babylon, giving them God's commands to build homes, build families, and to pray for shalom. So in the beginning, we get one verse And then I want to give us a background by going back a few chapters so we're sure we're into this historical context. But it's the words of the letter Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon, those who had not listened to Yahweh's prophets and had provoked his anger with gods that they had created. So let's go to the text now, the beginning of chapter 29. These are the words of the letter Jeremiah that he wrote, Jeremiah the prophet. He sent it from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders of the exiles and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile in Babylon. Okay, what's going on here? Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple, killed many, many, many people. In fact, most of the leaders, that's why it says the remainder of the elders. But those who were left from every class of God's people down to the poorest of the poor went into exile in Babylon. And as I've already said, this was about a thousand miles from their homeland. Well, turn back a few chapters to chapter 25, and the Lord was speaking through Jeremiah and saying what would happen. So he says, um, and I'm paraphrasing, there's many verses here, but Yahweh had sent his servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to the command of the prophets and turn from their evil deeds to live in the land that he gave their fathers forever. But they went after other gods to serve and worship them, provoking his anger. So in his grace, and again, I don't want to get overly big on grace, but God is very gracious. He had commanded them through many prophets and many generations to repent of their provoking him to anger by forsaking him. But they refused to listen. Generation after generation after generation, they would not repent. So the next half of chapter 25 I want us to think about is that Yahweh said he would take his servant Nebuchadnezzar with a multitude of people to utterly destroy the land, making it a waste and ending joy, gladness, marriage, and light 
Think about that. That's heavy. So God is telling his people through Jeremiah a few chapters previous to this, a mind-blowing truth. He had chosen a pagan king and a pagan nation to strongly discipline his people for all their generations of idolatry and evil deeds done out of hearts that rejected him to indulge their own selfish desires. So that's the background of this letter that we're considering. So then we hear that Yahweh commands the exiles in their exile to build houses, grow their own food, give their sons and daughters in marriage, multiply in numbers, and to pray for Babylon. So let's again go through it because this is important, every bit of it. Now, this is an interesting name of the covenant God. Thus says Yahweh of the armies, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile. Y'all must build houses and live and plant gardens and eat their produce. So what's happening here? Even though God has disciplined them, and rightly so, by making them second-class outcasts far, far from home, while they are living there, they are to live as he instructed them to live in the land that he gave their fathers way back through Moses. Don't change anything. Make your homes there. Grow. Grow your own food and eat it. You're going to be there a while, he's implying. And then he says they must take wives and have sons and daughters and do the same for the next generation. And they must multiply and not be diminished. So I looked up this word and I did a word search on it because you may remember this phrase. It runs throughout Genesis. This very phrase, to multiply, be fruitful. It's in the first chapter of Genesis when God created people male and female. He reaffirmed it to Noah and his family after the flood. And then he gave Jacob Israel, the father of all of the people of Israel, the very same command for all of his chosen people. Multiply, don't diminish. He's saying nothing has changed that mandate to multiply, to multiply my people on the earth. It still stands. And then Jeremiah continues writing for the Lord. And they must seek the shalom of the city where I have sent them into exile. And they must pray on behalf of it to Yahweh because its shalom will be their shalom. So seek peace for Babylon. This is about 600 years before Jesus came to earth. And this command to pray for the wholeness, the welfare, the peace, and shalom means all that and more. To pray for this for their enemies must have shocked God's people. Like, what? What are you saying, God? Like, why? Why? But... He promised at the end of this command that the peace of their enemies would also be peace for them. And I thought of this this morning. You've probably heard that saying, a rising tide lifts all of the boats. So if Babylon benefits from God's peace through prayer, so will they, okay? And Jesus later stated this very directly when he said on the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, you must love and pray for your enemies. Again, God doesn't change. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Continuing on with the rest of the letter from Jeremiah from Yahweh himself, He goes back and he changes the subject a little bit. And he says, do not be deceived. I plan hope and peace 
pray with all of your heart, and I will bring you back. And then the gospel portion at the end is equally important. Jesus says that he is giving peace in the midst of trouble. So, uh, again, and I had to look this up. It, you know, God repeats things because we're slow to hear. Yahweh of the armies warns that false prophets are promising a quick return or no exile at all, but it's going to be 70 years, and then they will experience his plans of hope and peace. So again, thus says Yahweh of the armies, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets among you all deceive you and your diviners. And do not listen to your own dreams that you all are making because a lie they are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. These false prophets, you can read about it in all the historical books. They were telling God's people, oh, the few of you that have been sent away, you won't stay there. You'll be home before you know it. And oh, yeah, we can stay in this land that he promised to Abraham and his descendants uh, to give to us, even if we go about rejecting God and worship idols. They're denying the discipline of God's word to Moses about continual generational unrepentant idolatry. And read the long chapter of Leviticus 26. You'll see God had laid it out to them. God doesn't change. He doesn't lie. It's coming. These prophets are lying. Okay? Because thus says Yahweh, when 70 years are fulfilled in Babylon, I'll visit you all and I'll, I'll raise you up. Uh, and I'll raise up to you a good word to bring you all finally back to this place. So here's a, a, a key time frame in, in all of salvation history. 70 years. Yahweh spoke this through Jeremiah, about 605 B.C., as close as it can be dated. Well, around 538 B.C., some 67 or so years later, Daniel was reading this very passage. Can you believe it? It was scripture already in less than 70 years. He was reading it in Babylon, and he realized with a simple arithmetic and subtraction, the 70 years were almost over. And he was motivated to pray to Yahweh, his God, that this prophecy be fulfilled. And in, in, in my mind and heart, Daniel chapter 9 is one of the most awesome human prayers in all of Scripture. And then Yahweh continues, because I've known the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans for shalom, not evil, to give you all a future and a hope. There is a strong word, hope. So when the 70 years of discipline, rightly deserved discipline, are over, Israel will have a future and will have a hope. And if you go back to that chapter in Daniel, after he had prayed, this is the most amazing thing. If you've ever read Josh McDowell or any books on prophecy, Yahweh sent Gabriel to announce to Daniel the end of, of sin, the end to sin for his people, and to give the exact year in which the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. And we now know after Jesus came, he didn't deserve to die. He was sinless, but he died for our sins. And this is all in God's prophetic work. This is the future. This is the hope. So may we understand and accept that God's discipline, however severe it may feel and however much we may be struggling, when he disciplines us, it's ultimately for the hope of our ultimate peace and restoration to him 
True prosperity, shalom in Jesus. And while we wait for his second coming now, let us understand that God plans hope for those who accept his discipline when we need it. And then the concluding lines of our Jeremiah passage, he says, in in addition to this, when you all have sought me, I'll be found by you all and you will all be brought back to Jerusalem. I'm just going to throw this in now. It just occurred to me. For them, it was a physical place where they worship God and where the temple was. For us, it's the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. So the letter continues. You all have called upon me, and you have gone and prayed to me, and I've heard you all, and you all have sought me and found me because you will seek me with all your heart. Now, because God knows everything, and I I struggle with this sometimes, God speaks about what's future to people as past tense to him. It's called the prophetic perfect or or past tense. He knows everything, so he speaks of this future hope as if it has already happened. When their hope is fulfilled in Messiah, his people will call on him. They will go to him in prayer. They will seek him, and they will find him because he's already knowing when he states this that his people will seek him with all their heart. And as I read this passage, I saw in, you know, those parallel passages you have in in some of your Bibles. I was astounded because I went back and read a paragraph in Deuteronomy 4, word for word, the same as this. And, And I was taught that prophets, what they did was they took the Torah, especially Deuteronomy, and they took the very words that were spoken through Moses and spoke them into their own time. So here's this promise that when we seek God with all our heart, we will find him. And what's really being said here is we ourselves too, none of God's people should ever be deceived by lies. Just continue to seek God in prayer and to find him and to find his will for us. And then God goes on to say, I've been found by you all. I have restored your captivity. I have gathered you from all the nations and places I've driven you, declares Yahweh. And I've brought you back to the place from which I caused you to be taken into exile. Restoration. What a beautiful word. Reconciliation. After the 70 years are over, they will come back to their covenant God. They will genuinely repent and seek him. And he will remember his covenant with them through Moses. And so 70 years was a typical lifespan back then. And after a lifespan of discipline, the nation was disciplined severely, 70 years of exile. But they hung in there. They continued to follow the Torah of Moses. And two whole generations that were born into captivity, Yahweh says he will finally give them a future and a hope by bringing them back to the land he promised to Abraham, as we saw last year. And they will live there until Messiah comes the first time. God plans hope for all who accept his discipline. So let us surrender to his will in any necessary discipline. Going forward, there's just one verse. Um, Debbie and I had a poster when we were first married in our, um, our, our rec room in our basement, and it had this very verse on it. Jesus is speaking of the peace he's giving And he commands his followers to not be troubled. So let me read it. I'll do it in two parts. Peace I'm leaving with you. My peace I'm giving to you. Not as the world is giving. 
I myself am giving to all of you, my followers, the peace of Jesus. Jesus, as God's Savior Son, is giving his peace to his followers, leaving peace to them, even as he's going to be returning to his Father in heaven. And Jesus' peace is an eternal hope for them. All the way until when he returns. We are living in this peace now if we can receive it. Not as the world. Okay. I hope you're all familiar with the next to last sentence in John's first epistle. At the end of chapter 5. He puts it very bluntly. The world is now lying in the evil one. All who are not in Christ by grace, by faith, and have gone from death to life, whether they know it or not, they're really under the control of the evil one. And the evil one is a liar. And the peace he gives is both deceptive and temporary, unlike the peace of Jesus. And then Jesus says, the heart of y'all, it must not be troubled Neither must it be afraid. Now, here's two commands, and and this prompted one of my final prayers this morning. Believers are truly united in the Savior King, so as to have one united heart among them, the heart of Jesus. That's why he can be speaking to his followers in the plural and use the singular heart. So therefore, as long as his followers are all in him by grace, through faith, they will be neither troubled nor afraid. Let's make it personal now, our little body here. We must have faith that God will restore us to him in his son, free from trouble and fear, in the hope of the peace that Jesus graciously gives while we wait for his return, but we're not inactive. The hope of his second advent allows us to live and work for Jesus in a dark world, in his peace. The peace of Jesus overcomes hopelessness. We don't have to share in the hopelessness of the world. Let me, let me wrap it up. God speaks through his prophet Jeremiah to his people who are being disciplined in exile because they have rejected him for idols. And with this, let's beware of our consumerist culture. How much do we fall subject to things rather than people in relationships? And then they must build homes and grow food and have children in hope, in hope. And we need to hope for and pray for a revival of the church so there can be awakening in the culture because he has plans of peace for them, not just for us, but for the people who are lost right now. And he says when they seek him, they will find him and he will restore them. And then 600 years later, Jesus told his people, his peace overcomes the fears and troubles that can lead them into hopelessness. If we know God, if we are seeking to be in his will and do his good purposes, even though he has to discipline us when we get too much into our own thing, God plans hope for those who accept and endure his discipline. And that's our hope on the first Sunday of Advent. So now uh, let us sing as our final hymn, number 451, Like a River Glorious.
everything because he's the infinite God. Well, here are these words from a letter that Paul wrote to the bishop on Crete, uh, a Christian by the name of Titus that he had discipled. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds. Amen. And let us just close with the chorus, number 91, Unto Thee, O Lord. This is a round, so you can do Sing any round you want. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Yeah.